Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 91st program in this series. In the previous message, I was in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 9. In verse 7, Jesus spoke to his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and this is repetition from what he told them before. In verse 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And what Jesus was referring to was the giving of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the helper in this context, that it is the Spirit of God who's going to help both us and God communicate relationally. It really is the Spirit of God who dwells within us. This is a phrase, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Helper. These are phrases that describe the presence of God within you. That because of what Jesus did through his death and resurrection, if we will surrender to the new covenant, then our God will make us spiritually alive by giving us the spirit of life, his spirit to dwell within us. And that is what makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God, a personal one, one that has the foundation of forgiveness, such that our God does not hold our sins against us anymore, so we can move forward past the sin issue and proceed into other things related to being made into a new creation, being a child of God, now being the recipient of the inheritance that we have received as a result of his death, and then we are able to live with what we have as an inheritance. To live with what we have is very different from living our lives with what we don't have, hoping that we're going to get something from God through our repentance and obedience, which is never going to take place. So what we receive is a free gift, the free gift of the Holy Spirit, the free gift of eternal life, the free gift of being made into a new creation, into a child of God, such that we receive an inheritance and we are able to now live our daily lives with what we have. And that becomes the Christian life. The Christian life is not about trying to get the sin in our flesh under control. The Christian life is about discovering what we have in Christ, what we have received as an inheritance, and learning to apply what we have in our daily lives. That's the Christian life. Now, unfortunately, this is not the common view of what the Christian life is, But for those who will embrace this as the norm, as the way that our God defined the relationship that would exist between us and him because of what he did, those are the people who will be able to grow and mature in the faith. 
and everyone else, at best, are pretty much just going to be waiting until they physically die and go to heaven, which is what the majority of people in Christianity are really doing. They're being thankful, they're singing praises, but they are effectively waiting until they go to heaven. Their view of the Christian life has to do with how to get us out of hell and into heaven, and they know very little, if nothing, about what it means for our God to come out of heaven and to be within us, that this is a completely different way of life. But continuing into verse 8, in John chapter 16, verse 8, he speaks about the Holy Spirit, and he says, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And at the end of the previous program, I introduced what he said about convicting the world of sin. Now, there is a distinction between the children of God and the world. They're not the same. When you are born again by the Spirit of God, you are no longer of the world. That's no longer who you are. There is no reason for God to convict you of sin. Now, if he wants to have a conversation with you about it, that's different. And I personally can testify of God having conversations like that with people. But that's not about convicting people of their sin. That's about gaining an increase in understanding of who we are, of who God is, of how he relates to us and why. Whereas most people are thinking that we need to be convicted. We need to be in a position where God holds our sins against us, supposedly to give us incentive to stop, which doesn't work. The threat of punishment is never going to control the flesh of humanity. It's never worked that way. But he is going to convict the world of sin. When the Holy Spirit is given to the world because of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, our God will have a certain kind of relationship with his believers, with his children, through the giving of the Holy Spirit. And with those who are not his children, who are not believers in the Lord Jesus, God will have a different kind of relationship with those people through his Holy Spirit. What this means is, is that God is going to continue to participate in everyone's life. When Jesus was conducting his ministry, God was manifested in the flesh, participating in the lives of some of the people in the land of Israel. And we have the historical record of this written in the Gospels that the disciples felt were the most important things for us to know about what Jesus did for us. But those were limited relationships. Limited in the sense that Jesus was not in a relationship with everyone in town. There was only a select group of people. And of course, word of him spread and people knew about him. And people investigated him. Many people physically saw him. But Jesus could not possibly have an individual relationship with everyone in the nation. But because of what he has done, and now the Holy Spirit has come to the world, has come to the world in the context of the new covenant, now God is relating to everyone on an individual basis through his Spirit. 
He does make a division in the sense that he will convict the world of sin, but there's no reason to convict his disciples or the people who believe in him or his children of sin. No reason to convict them or express a sense of punishment towards them. There is a newly defined relationship with his children, but with the people of the world, he can individually bring conviction to the hearts and the souls of each person within and through their spirit. And this is something that he does. So what I want you to see is that God participates in the world in a different way. This is a new way. When the Holy Spirit was given to humanity, it was given to everyone, but there was a distinction between the lost and the saved. For the lost, the Holy Spirit will go to people, not dwell within them, not resurrect them, but will speak to them, will communicate to them. Everyone will have a moment when they will be convicted of their sin. But which sin? It is the sin of unbelief. That's what Jesus says here. If you'd like to refer to all the other possible sins that a person can commit, you'd have to go somewhere else in the scriptures to identify that the Holy Spirit is going to convict people of this sin and that sin and the other sin. Here in John chapter 16, verse 9, Jesus says of sin because they do not believe in me. And that is the sin. It is the sin of unbelief. And this will be held against a person. In that sense, there is no real forgiveness for the sin of unbelief because it will be held against them when the decision is made to send them to hell. From that point of view, it is reasonable to say that unbelief in Jesus is the one sin that there is no forgiveness for. From that point of view, from the point of view of God will make a decision to send the person to hell because they did not surrender to the gospel, they did not believe in Jesus. But in the meantime, God is going to be involved in people's lives personally to convict them of their unbelief. Everyone in the history of humanity will be confronted in some way. And I don't know all the ways. I just know that according to this verse, it's reasonable to suggest that God is going to reach every single person individually and they are going to be aware that they have rejected Jesus. And they will have their moment when they recognize and they realize that by default, they have rejected their God. So when they go before God in heaven, when that day comes, everyone will know it will be in their heart in some way. That's what I see described here in verse 9, that God is going to make sure that everyone is confronted in one way or another. Now, this doesn't mean that we should not speak to people about their sins and encourage them to repent and believe the gospel. I think we should do that and that our God may direct us to do that. He may ask us to participate in that way in people's lives. And if he does so, 
I think it's a good thing for us to respond and do that. And if he doesn't do that, I think we can do that on our own and still go and inform people that they have the sin of unbelief or that they have other sins that God will hold against them in some way and that they need to understand that this is going to be resolved one way or another and it is in their interest to resolve this issue soon, very soon, because when they physically die, there will be no more chances to resolve their separation from God. Continuing into verse 10, Jesus goes on and he gives an explanation of righteousness. From verse 8, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, righteousness is just a fancy word for right standing. And Jesus spent a lot of his ministry talking with people about the subject of righteousness. Righteousness in the Old Covenant was defined by the law. If you obeyed, you were righteous. Well, no one's going to obey. And so everyone was unrighteous. Those who believed that they were righteous had trouble with what Jesus had to say, especially those who were recognized as the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious people in the land of Israel who sincerely believed that they had achieved righteousness by their obedience to the law, that they had found a way to live a lifestyle, a way of life. They found a way that they could live so that they would be righteous. They really believed that. But when Jesus spoke and talked to them directly or indirectly, Jesus explained to them that he wasn't so impressed, that while they may have felt that they were righteous, he didn't think so. And he explained why. He gave many examples. He explained why they were not righteous. So when Jesus was conducting his ministry, he did convict the people of righteousness. He did. He convicted them about that. He spoke with them about that. And the people would recognize that they were not righteous. Now, in the New Covenant, we are made righteous because of what Jesus did for us, not because of what we might do for God. In the Old Covenant, your righteousness was established by what you did for God. In the New Covenant, it's established by what your God does for you. This is a fundamental way of understanding the differences between the Old and the New Covenant. Again, In the Old Covenant, righteousness was defined by what you did for God. In the New Covenant, righteousness is defined by what your God does for you. And to embrace that, you must believe in your God. You must believe the truth. You must believe the gospel. You must be born again. You must be made spiritually alive. You must be made into a new creation in Christ Jesus, a child of God. And by default, as part of that package, you are therefore Right with God. You have righteousness because you believed your God. In a similar way, Abraham was declared to be righteous because he believed his God. So also we are going to be righteous because we believe our God concerning the new covenant. 
So Jesus proclaimed what righteousness is, and he proclaimed how righteousness was going to be obtained and how it wasn't going to be obtained. But here in verse 10, he says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness because he goes to his Father and they will see him no more. Now, how does that work? How does it work to say that the world is going to be convicted of righteousness because Jesus is no longer around? He's not here, so now that by default is going to convict people of righteousness? One of the ways that I think that this could be true is if we recognize that Jesus was murdered and his murder was not appropriate. It was sin. Jesus was murdered on the basis of false testimony and on the basis of bad decisions. It was an unrighteous death. That's what it was. And so when he died... The people knew that this was an unrighteous experience. Therefore, through his absence, righteousness is declared. And what was the righteousness that was declared? Well, in this sense, you could say that Jesus was the proclaimer of the truth. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He was God manifested in the flesh. Everything that he said could be considered to be validated because he was murdered. So when he was gone, he left everyone in a state of having to acknowledge the reality that they were definitely unrighteous. That the decision makers, the representatives, the people who were a part of this, the people who didn't prevent this from taking place, the people who didn't intervene. There is a lot of unrighteousness that can be understood and expressed here because Jesus was not there anymore, because he really was murdered. And when he was murdered, he went into the presence of the Father. And so when the Holy Spirit would go to these people during this time in history, the Holy Spirit could speak to these people about their unrighteousness. He could convict them about their unrighteousness. And today, there can be opportunities for the Spirit to speak to people about the subject of unrighteousness when they understand what happened to the Lord Jesus and when they have an understanding of why He went through what He went through in order to make the provision for forgiveness for them, for the people who are alive today. Jesus died for their sins way back then. And so when they are confronted with this, when this revelation comes to mind, then the Holy Spirit can speak to them about their unrighteousness. And he can bring conviction to their hearts. The testimony, the work of God within a person can be real. Our God is participating in the lives of everyone in an individual way, whether they are saved or lost. This is what Jesus meant when he said that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. 
Moving on into verse 11 of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world, the people who are lost, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Okay, now in general, this would be referring to the devil, the devil and his angels or the demons, and that they have been judged to be evil, to be guilty. Now, the world, the people in the world, the people who are alive, who are even alive today, will eventually consider that there are rulers in this world. And they will also, in general, acknowledge that there are evil spirits in the world of some kind. It can be really difficult to find someone who does not believe that there are some evil spirits of some kind in the world. And when they think about the fact that there are, either because of some really awful event that happens in the news or in their own lives, when a person finally gets exposure to this in their life, they're going to recognize that the rulers of this world, whether they are in the flesh or they are spirits of some kind, that for the most part, they are evil. Folks, this world is not governed by truth and righteousness. It really is governed by lies and evil in many ways. Now, of course, when rulers move in that direction, they become destructive and they become self-destructive. And so we have nations that rise and fall and civilizations that rise and fall and then new ones start again. There will always be cycles like this. Every civilization that has risen has fallen. And every civilization that is presently functioning will eventually come apart. And the civilization that you are in right now, it could be that you may be alive when the civilization you are a part of right now comes apart. Maybe you won't die before it happens. Maybe you will. But what people will generally notice at some point in their life is that there is a lot of evil in the world and that there will eventually be a judgment of some kind. Most everyone will acknowledge that there is going to be a day of reckoning for everyone at some point. In general, people will acknowledge that when you physically die, there will be some kind of reckoning, some kind of judgment. Well, it turns out that the Holy Spirit is a part of this. The Holy Spirit is communicating to people, is expressing himself to people, is sharing with people in whatever way that they are willing to listen the truth that there is going to be a judgment of some kind when it comes to the evil in the world. And so in verse 11, John chapter 16, verse 11, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And this is the connection that people will eventually make. People will make this kind of a connection. They will see that there is evil in the world. They will recognize that there is an evil spirit of some kind who's definitely a participant. And because of what we know, because of what Jesus said and how it has been disseminated, 
Throughout civilizations, ever since Jesus conducted his ministry, people have been exposed to the truth that the devil has been judged and that a final judgment is coming. Well, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is going to be a participant in this revelation in the lives of the people of the world. That God is going to be a participant in the lives of people and he will find ways of communicating to them the truth that judgment is real. Judgment is coming. The ruler of this world has already been judged and they are going to be judged very soon. They themselves will also be judged. This is their opportunity to repent believe the gospel, surrender to their God, accept the judgment and accept the freedom through the forgiveness of sins that Jesus has provided, embrace the Holy Spirit as the one who will resurrect them from the dead, make them into a child of God so that they can begin to have a relationship on the basis of truth and reality with the living God. Thank you for listening. This is the 91st program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples about the role that the Holy Spirit would have in the lives of the people in the world, not in the lives of the people who are saved, those who are children of God, but that the Holy Spirit will actively participate in the lives of the unbelievers that the Holy Spirit will convict the unbelievers of sin because they do not believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit will convict the unbelievers of their sin, of the reality of righteousness, the righteousness of God and the fact that they don't have any because of their rejection of Jesus, and of judgment. The Holy Spirit will testify to people that there will be judgment that will be executed upon the leader of this world. Therefore, judgment will be executed upon everyone who has rejected the living God and what he has done for them. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net thank you